0: This morning, this morning, I want to share uh, a little bit of my heart and, uh, and vision for, I guess, for this place and for us as a community. Um, I haven't called it Vision Sunday, but um, because I don't think it's, it's not like Vision Sunday where we've got a theme and a, all that. But I just, it's a whole lot of sort of thoughts and I've tried to sort of make it concise and sort of uh, understandable but I hope you'll sort of go with me on a little bit of a journey of, of where I believe God's calling us and, and some of the things he's really put on my heart to to challenge us with, to encourage us in and to, to see where he might take us into the future. So if you're keen for that, um, find your Bibles and uh, turn to Matthew uh, Matthew 4 and Matthew 28 at the same time, put a finger in it, if you've got a paper Bible, if you've got a phone, you can't do that can you? Try to put a finger in your phone. See what happens. It won't work. Uh, Anyway, Ebony will put them off on the screen. She's very clever. So Matthew 4 verse 19 uh, says this. Jesus, uh, at the start of his ministry, says, Follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. Follow me, he told them, and I'll make you fish for people. And then in Matthew 28... Verse 18 to 20, you know this passage. Uh, Jesus came to them, came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Holy Spirit, would you help us to hear your voice this morning? Would you help us to be receptive to what it is that you want to speak into our hearts. Uh, would you give us faith to, to step out in, in obedience this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this, at the moment, at, at our household, we've got a bit of a light problem, um, in that a lot of our lights are broken. Uh, we've got a light in our dining room that's like on a dimmer. I think the dimmer's going. It just like flashes. And we're like in the midst of renovation, so we know we're going to change it soon. So we're just like, eh, it's flashing. The oven light doesn't work. Um, our bedroom light doesn't work. It's the lights blown. Uh, we've got two cars, and there's a headlight blown on both of them. <laughs> like one headlight on each car. Uh, I'm sure there's some other lights that aren't working. But Alana's sitting there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm confessing my sins to you all publicly, um, I notice all these all these lights that are that are blowing, and and sort of uh, the longer it goes on, the more you just sort of get used to the fact that I just know that switch doesn't work. Like I know if I walk into the bedroom and hit the switch, it doesn't work. So I don't even I don't even flick the switch anymore. Um, I just open the curtains and let God's light shine. Um, yeah, I'm just super spiritual like that. Um, or I don't, I don't really use the oven too much, <laughs> so I don't really understand the importance of an oven light, but um, yeah, that one's high priority to get fixed. Uh, again, the headlights are like, I still can see. No, yeah, I know, I'll get them fixed, I'll, I'm going to be held accountable, we'll get them all fixed this, this year. We'll get onto it, but it's sort of like uh, you know when things are broken and or not working like they should, and it goes on for a certain amount of time. You just sort of get used to it to the point where you don't even notice it anymore. It's just like, oh, the window smashed. It's been smashed for like a year. I just, yeah, I just haven't been bothered to to fix it or uh, whatever the the thing that's broken or is an issue until someone else sees it and they're like, why is your you know, why haven't you got a front door? It's like, oh, yeah, I just sort of forgot that we didn't have one and um, haven't thought to replace it, or, or whatever it is that is missing. And, and it's sort of like the elephant in the room, if you like, or the thing that's really obvious to everyone, but because you've lived with it for so long, you're sort of just blind to it. You know what I mean? And I reckon uh, the Australian church, we're a bit like this. There's sort of like this proverbial elephant in the room in this sense of making disciples that is not happening on a whole, that we're just sort of like, eh, well, it's gone on for like this for so long that we're just sort of used to it. It's just, sort of, it's just the way it is. We just sort of live with it. We just sort of have to put up with it, I suppose. And uh, it's been there so long, we just don't think it's that strange. We don't think it's that broken. Uh, The Australian church, in case you're unaware, is in decline. No matter which way you pull the numbers, do the math, it's in decline. Um, Between 1950 and 2007, I know 2007 is a long time ago, it's going down from 2007, but this is census data. Um, Monthly church attendance has declined from 44 to 17%. 44 to 17%. There's a pretty graph here that I pulled off uh, Wikipedia that, that puts the census data together On the next one, Ebony, the picture, the graph, there you go. Basically, all the blue is church, uh, Anglican, Catholic, other Christians, um, and their affiliations in the census, and that goes from 1901 to 2016. You can just see it's declining. It's gone from like close to 90-something percent down to uh, about 50 percent. And so we've got this issue or this, whatever it's happening in Australia, where people are not coming to faith, they're leaving faith. More people are walking away from faith than they are coming to faith. And we've got this clear command from Jesus for the church, for the Christian, to go and make disciples, to go and reach the lost, become fishers of people. And in my heart, I see this as like, this is the elephant in the room. This is like, I mean, it's, it's all well and good to sort of pat ourselves on the back and say we're doing good at other things. And we are. I'm not saying we're not doing good. I'm, I'm putting myself in the, in the basket as well. But something's got to change. We've got to do something different. We've got we've to be annoyed by this. We've got to be frustrated by this. We've got to see this as a problem. We've got to see this like the broken oven light and say, I can't deal with this any longer. This has to be changed. This has to be turned back on. So you look at Matthew 4.19, that, that, that verse we read, and Jesus says to his disciples, he gives them a vision when he calls them to follow him. He says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. So Jesus' call is a call to follow, and I think we, we preach this message and we do this message pretty well, this call to follow Jesus, call to receive from Jesus, call to get grace from Jesus to get everything we need from Jesus. And he calls the disciples to that. Uh, and we like this part. We like the, the call that Jesus has to, to follow him and to receive from him and to get all that we need from him, to get peace and to get, um, to get love and to get purpose and, and all these things. We, we love this, following Jesus, receiving his grace. But the vision for this following is for something much bigger than just for following He says this, he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. You can't separate this call, you can't separate the following from the going, the following from the discipling. And so the call is to follow and to receive, but the call is also to disciple and to give, to go. And these two ideas I don't think can be separated. They can't be sort of segregated out and say, well, we're called to follow in some seasons of life and then we're called to disciple in other seasons of life. We're called to to follow and disciple in the same breath, in the same way. They go hand in hand, together. We cannot follow Jesus without fishing for people. It doesn't work. It's not what the disciples, it's not how Jesus discipled his disciples. So the disciples hear this call in Matthew 4 and they spend the next three years following Jesus, receiving from Jesus, um, getting teaching from Jesus, getting encouragement, getting challenged by Jesus. And then at the end of their time together, he sort of brings them all together and he says, now, this is the point. Remember, I want you to go and make disciples. You followed me for three years. I want you to go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching, causing people to obey, um, and I'll be with you. I'm always going to be with you. And we could pull Matthew 28 apart um, and over the next couple of weeks we we will a little bit but um, we've heard countless messages on this idea this idea is not new to us but one idea I want to just point out in Matthew 28 is that I'm not a Greek um, expert by any stretch but the little I do know about Greek is that this idea of Matthew 28 there's one main command and three I think what are called participles uh, I'm not saying, not sure if I'm saying that word right participles you can tell I'm I'm really smart. But uh, disciple is the main command. Go is not the main command. Disciple is the main command. It's sort of like um, how I heard it explained is is if I was to tell you to go, go clean your house, that's the command, you know, vacuum the floor, mop the floor, do the dishes. So clean the house is the main command. And then, you know, to do that, you need to vacuum, mop, do the dishes. And so in the same way, we've got disciple is the main command. And then the three participles are go, teach, and baptize. So in that original text, that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. And so the point this morning that I want to make to you is that disciple is the command. Go is is part of the command, but disciple is the main command. And it's not make disciples. Make disciples is sort of how the English is translated, but it's just one word, disciple. Disciple, go, teach, baptize. That's the command that Jesus gives to his followers. The challenge for us, the challenge for you, is on the most part, most of us haven't seen that modeled. I don't know about you, but most people that I've talked to, most people that I've journeyed with, have not had someone disciple them. They haven't had someone walk alongside them show them the ways of Jesus, teach them the ways of Jesus, coach and encourage like Jesus did with his disciples. I don't know if you're in the same boat as me and and the people I've talked to, but I think for most of us, for whatever reason, haven't had this idea modelled to us. We haven't been discipled in the way that we think Jesus is telling us to go and disciple. And so we think, we look at this and it just seems a bit foreign. It's like, how do I go and do this? I haven't seen it. I, I haven't been discipled. No one's done it for me, so how can I do it for someone else? How can I disciple when I haven't seen it modeled, when I haven't seen it done? And so I think we can use that as an excuse or, or whatever we like, but that's the challenge that we have is that because, on, by and large, we haven't seen it greatly modeled, we feel a little bit stuck at the idea of going and doing it. It seems a bit foreign, it seems a bit strange we didn't have someone teaching us we didn't have someone showing us so it seems a little foreign and hard to do and i think that's the challenge and uh, my heart for for us as we step into the future is that we would wrestle with this idea and say what is it we're not we're not settling for oh well it's too hard or we didn't have it modeled so we'll just you know just sort of talk around it and never really name the name the thing that jesus actually called us to do and say why aren't we doing it Another scripture in Mark 4, a parable that Jesus told his disciples. He said, uh, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed when sown upon the soil is is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Um, Now... The mustard seeds not the small seed if you know if you're a botanist um, you know you'll read this parable and you think oh jesus got it wrong you know it's not the small seed but at the time in the ancient near east it was a small seed known to um, to the people that were listening it'd be like if i said that lake guthridge is the biggest the biggest lake out of the two lakes at foster street you know it in the context of what he was saying it made sense But what's strange about this that some scholars have pointed out is that a mustard tree is not that big. It's not the biggest tree. It's probably average height is around sort of yay big, like not big enough to have branches and birds and nests and things. And I think um, what Jesus is trying to demonstrate and how we want to pull the details of this parable apart, what he's saying is from the smallest seed, something great can come. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't disagree. That's the point of the parable. From something so small, something so great can come. Something so small, something so profound, that the potential in something so small is huge. When it comes to me and my faith, how I came to know Jesus, how I began following Jesus, part of my story began 70 years ago. And you're thinking, you look good for that old brat. (laughs) Thank you. I'm not that old. But part of my story started seven years ago when a girl at the age of about 12 put her faith in Jesus. Her uncle said to her, you know, you should come to this youth service thing that we've got going on at church. And so her, this girl, and her brother were dragged along by their uncle to go to this church thing every week. And then one week, she said, you know what? I'm going to put my faith in this Jesus character. And she did. She put her faith in Jesus. And her brother, who'd been coming with her, just laughed at her and said, what are you doing that for? And so she instantly got ridiculed, instantly got laughed at. But the following week, he too put his faith in Jesus. Then through this girl and her brother, their parents became Christians. And their parents became missionaries in New Guinea. Her brother became a missionary in, um, well, I've got it here, in Indonesia. Became a pastor. This girl, in case you can't figure out, is my granny. She's my mum's mum. And so from this girl, from this decision 70-odd years ago, my faith story began. Because without, oh no, it's a cute photo, isn't it? That's my granny, and that's Judah. Um, that was like a year ago. She's not dead. It, looks, it sort of looks like it's a funeral photo, doesn't it? But she's still alive. I was talking to her this week about this story. Um, but I am so certain that my granny's uncle, when he was just saying, you should come to this thing, had no idea of that small seed and how much it would grow, of the influence, the potential that was in one little girl and her putting her faith in Jesus. That her parents then would go to New Guinea and be missionaries. That her brother would put his faith and become a pastor and and reach multitudes himself. That she would have kids and uh, that her kids would come to faith and that their grandkids would come to faith and her great-grandkids would come to faith. All because one person took this command to disciple And it probably wasn't even in in this greater context. It was just sort of like reaching one person who didn't know Jesus and bringing them to faith. And you know, my heart is for this sort of person. That someone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have Christian parents, who doesn't have a Christian background, comes to know Jesus, that is like the mustard seed. It grows. That faith, that decision, that following of Jesus grows into something so much bigger than what we could ever see. And I think what Jesus calls us to is disciple people who make disciples. It's this sense that whenever we're reaching someone with the message of the gospel, it's not just for them. It goes far beyond them. It goes generations beyond them. The potential is so much greater than them. And so I I think that's partly why we don't see the word evangelism sort of really talked about too much in the Bible, because evangelism has this sense that we just tell people about Jesus and then... You know, it just finishes with them. But disciple is this idea that we tell someone about Jesus and we help them journey to a point that they're, they're making disciples, that they're influencing lives around them. And so my heart and my, my vision for us as a, as a community is that we would see these people come to know Jesus in a life-changing way that would begin a journey for their generation, for their family line, that would change generations and generations to come. There's another story in Genesis where, um, and you know this as well, the call of, of Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 15, verse 1 to 5, just let me read it. it. says, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house in Eliza, is Eliza of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to them, your offspring will be that numerous. Now for Abram and Sarah, if you know the story, this point in their life, they'd heard God say this to them before. He'd heard God say, you know what, Abram and Sarah, you're going to have... Countless, you know, you're gonna have lots and lots of children, and they got really old at this point, And so, God's coming to them again, coming to them again, and saying, No, 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 you're gonna have lots of children from your own body, your own children. And I think for us, there's every reason to believe that multiplying disciples can't happen through us, they can't come through my work, they can't come through your work. Like, maybe someone with a really great gift of evangelism or a great personality or a great charisma could go and make a disciple but me it couldn't come from me and I think God would want to do what he did with Abram and he'd want to take us out of the tent together and say look at the stars let me paint this picture for you again that you are called to fish for people you are called to make disciples there is a greater purpose in in you following me than just following me the call I have for you is to follow me and to make disciples, is to reach those who don't yet know me. And so I, I really believe that God wants to sort of enlarge our vision together, enlarge our view of what he could do. And the part of our story at Sal Baptist will, will be that we'll see these, what I'd like to call, first-generation disciples, that people who don't have any sort of Christian heritage, or maybe they did, um, you know, generations ago but for what they've known they don't have any christian heritage would we'll come to know and trust jesus and follow jesus and make disciples of their own that we'll see people and we're already seeing we've already got those people in our church sitting with us and we'll pray for them in a moment but we'll see first generation disciples and and then we'll see generation discipleship generational discipleship that we'll see the young ones that we see so many of every sunday Though it won't just be uh oh, because they're raised in church they'll be all right That's not all right. There's plenty of kids that over the last 50 years that have been raised in church that are a part of that decline, that have walked away. That just because a kid comes to church does not guarantee that they are going to be a disciple of Jesus who will reach other people. That we will take that seriously as a church and that we'll be uncles like um, my granny had an uncle who brought her along just because maybe we don't have our own kids here in church. That we will see these young people and we'll say there is something that I can do there is a role for me to speak into the next generation and disciple them and see them raise and, and, and see their families come to know Jesus as well. That we'll see disciples who make disciples. It doesn't just get stuck at one person. We're not called to be buckets, we're called to be conduits. We're called to take what Jesus has given us and pass it on to the next person we'll see second, third, and fourth generation disciples taking faith as their own and passing it on to those around them. Recently, um, well not recently, but I suppose over the last couple of months, Harrison's loved playing hide and seek, as most kids do. Um, And part of hide and seek is this idea that you count to a specified number. Um, Most of the time it's 10 for us. And then you say, ready or not, here I come. Uh, and if you, of course, if you're playing with a young child and you say, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, ready or not? And they say, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Count again. or Count slower. Or don't look. As he's like walking in front of you, um, I'm not ready. And I reckon for us as Christians, you know, we've got this sense that Jesus is saying to us, ready or not? It's your time. Go make disciples. And for us, we go, I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. There's just, I just need to learn a little bit more. I need to be discipled a little bit more. I need to read a bit more of the Bible. I need to sort of get some of my life together before I can go. Let me show you something back in Matthew 4. You know, we read that verse, go and I'll make you fishes of people. Listen what those disciples do. What's the first thing they do? All right. So it says, follow me, verse 19, Matthew 4. Follow me, he told them, and I'll make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Great. So they've got the first half of that call done. They're following him. They've left everything and they follow him. Then what do they do? Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing the nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. And so immediately they're going out and reaching others. Jesus is taking them and saying, "Let's go and do this together. Let's go and reach disciples. Let's sorry, let's go and reach those who don't yet follow me and let's get them to follow me too." And Jesus is taking his disciples who don't even know who Jesus is, what he's on about, and he's taking them on a journey and saying, "I want you to follow me and I want you to fish for people. We we're, we're getting others in on this as well." And I reckon, for us, we need to hear that call, ready or not, let's go. Whether you feel ready, whether you don't feel ready, we'll never feel ready. If we, if we wait till we feel ready, we'll just never go. We'll never go and do it. We'll just sort of sit back and go, well, I'd like to see someone else do it first. Um, someone else show me how to, how to do it. Um, and we'll find our excuse and we'll, and we'll make excuses and we'll find reasons why it's not working and I think God would say to us, like he said to Abram, like he says to his disciples, you know, I've got a bigger vision, I've got come out of the tent again, let me show you again, there's, there's something better for you to, to live in, there's, there's a bigger purpose, there's a bigger reason you're here, it's to reach people who don't yet know Jesus. Even a verse that we read last week, if you were here last week we looked at Acts chapter 4 and I want to read a verse again that we read last week in Acts 4 verse 13, it says when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realised that they were uneducated and untrained men they were amazed and recognised that they had been with Jesus uneducated and untrained uneducated and untrained ordinary people ordinary men in the Greek the, I think the Greek word is idioses idiots literally is where we get this word from That they didn't know anything They were not sort of like these people that you would expect to be leading the church. Case in point. Like they would, not the people that you would look at and go, oh, they should be leading the church. They should start this movement that's, I mean, the whole world rests on these people's shoulders, uneducated, untrained men. Ordinary people, but an extraordinary mission. Ordinary people, but an extraordinary mission. You know, the apprenticeship of the day for Jesus and his disciples, for anyone was not like a three-year course. It was the, the apprenticeship model or the, the, the discipleship model was you follow the, the rabbi or the, you follow the master of whatever trade or uh, thing you're walking in and you follow them until you are like them, until you become like that person and then you're ready to go and have your own. It's like that could take a year, that could take 10 years. But you travel with someone, you follow someone until you are like that person. And so that's why this verse in Acts 4, verse 13 says they were untrained and uneducated, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Because why? Because they were like Jesus. They had followed Jesus and they'd got to a point where they'd become like Jesus. They had been with Jesus, they had been trained by Jesus, they'd been following Jesus, they were making their own disciples. They were reaching people with the message of Jesus. And so when we are with Jesus, like Peter and John were, we follow Jesus and we fish for people. We follow Jesus and we make disciples. We disciple others. We go, we teach, we baptise. When we really follow Jesus, we become like Jesus. And so right now, just um, as we think about this idea, I want you to sort of picture someone in your mind That you know doesn't know Jesus. I want you to try to think of someone that you know um, who doesn't have a Christian family that they're a part of. Maybe it could be a niece or a nephew, and you're sort of the family for them, but maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone that just doesn't have any Christian background at all. I want you to think of that person. Now I want you to think of that person's potential influence. If they came to faith, what sort of potential influence would that have? What kind of mustard seed would bloom out of that person's life? You see, I think for so long we've been told this idea of going making disciples is just go and get one person and bring them to church and just hope that they trust Jesus. And I mean that's good if we can do that. Praise God. You know, there's there's a celebration, there's a party in heaven. But it's so much more than just bringing one person to Jesus. That to disciple, to reach someone for Jesus is to see that beyond that person. Is to, to lead them and to tell them about Jesus in such a way that it doesn't, it doesn't stop with them. That we have the opportunity to tell the next generation that when you come to know Jesus, you follow him and you make disciples. We can set up a new normal what a new normal of Christianity is like in Australia. That our history, our recent history of church decline doesn't have to be our future. That we can set up a, a, a new normal of when you follow Jesus, you make disciples. That's what a normal Christian does. Us in Australia, we're not doing normal Christianity. We're not following Jesus the way we were supposed to. And we want to try to change the tides of that. We want to try to change what normal Christianity looks like that we're not content with just knowing Jesus for ourselves, but we want others to know. And I know, you know, that we want that to happen. I'm not saying that we're all sitting here going, oh, I hope no one knows Jesus like I do. Like, I know that's our heart. But I want us to be challenged together to say, "What we've got to do something different. We've got to be stirred in a way that we've got to try some other things. And we'll get to what those other things might be. But for the moment... I want you to just think of that person and the potential influence they might have. I don't want to pray for that person right now. I want to pray for those people in our, in our own lives that we know that don't know Jesus. I don't want to pray for them and I want to pray for their families. God, would you help us to see what you see? Would you help us to step outside the tent, look at the stars, see your vision, see your heart, and not limit you because of what we've seen in the past. God, we lift up these people that are on our hearts right now, that are in our world, that that don't know you, that aren't following you, that aren't making disciples. And God, we pray that you would use us, however you want, to make that person a disciple, to disciple them, to help them to follow you, to be baptised, to reach their family, to reach their their circle of influence. Not so that we look good, not so that we get pats on the backs, but so that they know you, so that more people are in heaven, so more people are in right relationship with you. God, we pray that you would stir something in us that are discontent with the, the current situation that we face. And God, you would stir us to to disciple like you want us to. Give us a bigger picture. Give us a bigger vision. I pray. Amen. Next thing I want to do is if you are a first-generation disciple and you feel comfortable, if you are like, and you probably know who you are already. You heard me talk and you're like, that's me. My parents weren't Christian. I didn't have a Christian I didn't have parents who brought me up in church and who taught me, like, I was someone, a friend or an uncle or someone else reached me and, you know, that's why I'm here today. If you are a first-generation disciple, I want you to, if you feel comfortable, just stand just where you are. There'll be a few. How cool is this? Just have a look around. Just like these, what, 25 people that are standing up the the generations that are already been influenced by them that are going to be influenced by them i want to pray for them i want to pray for their the future the generations to come through these people that the influence that will come through these people following jesus jesus we lift up these people that are standing right now and god we know that you have saved them that you have brought them uh, into right relationship with you not for themselves not just for themselves, but so that they would reach others as well. And God, we pray for future generations that are still to come through these people. And God, we pray that this faith would not just be passed on, but there would be disciples made, disciples who make disciples. God, that there would be generational impact, and the grace that you've shown them would be passed on to children, to nephews, to nieces, to to workmates, to brothers, to sisters, to mums, to dads. God, that it would not stop with them. And God, we would hear testimony after testimony of, of their circle of influence being impacted by their own faith. And so God, we lift them up and we ask that you would have your way in their hearts. Give them a bigger picture and a bigger vision of the influence that you want to bring about in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And one other group I want to pray for um, as the band comes up, and that's as we sing this song, if... You've heard what I've said and you're like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. Um, I don't even know if I'm a disciple at all. I don't even know if I'm following Jesus at all. And you have heard maybe some messages over the last few weeks or whatever and you're, you're ready to make that decision to follow Jesus yourself. I would love to pray with you. I would love to, to lead you and to help you to understand what it is to follow Jesus. There's no magic prayer to pray. It's just a decision that you need to make in your heart to to trust Jesus, to have faith in him, and to follow him, to make disciples, to tell others. And so if you're ready and and wanting to make that decision, as we sing this last song, I'm just going to be standing down the front here, and I'd love to, to meet you. I'd love to pray with you and encourage you as you begin that journey. And so let's stand together. Let's pray. God, for people in this room right now that aren't following you, who don't know you, God, I pray that you would stir their hearts right now to make that decision, to follow you. To follow you and to to make disciples themselves. And God, for all of us, I pray that you would stir this idea of what it is to follow you and make disciples in our heart. God, help us not to settle for where we're at whether we're great at this or whether we're terrible at this, but God, just encourage us on to a a better day, a bigger future. Seeing more people come to know you. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd you'd like me to pray for you this morning, I'm just gonna be standing on the front here. I'd love to pray with you during this song.